5: This is Bear Shell D'Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the
3: Bickersons <laughs>
5: The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John, Insomniac Extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen.
7: Oh, for the love of heaven, what is he doing? John. John! John, hmm? what's the matter with you? Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter?
5: What's the matter, Blanche?
7: Are you in pain?
5: I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink.
7: You've been sleeping like a felled ox.
5: Headaches.
7: You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John?
5: I always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights,
7: James. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on?
5: Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow!
7: Take an aspirin.
5: Okay. Mm, feel better already.
7: How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something.
5: All right. Ah.
7: John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You
5: lied to me. You got the lights on.
7: Yes, I'm gonna keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you.
5: Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night?
7: When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia.
5: Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep.
7: It took you all of 30 seconds tonight.
5: Well, this was a good night. Good night. Good night.
7: John. John! Mm. I went over to see the Marvins' new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months.
5: He must be awful tired. (laughs) I am,
7: too. Children are such a blessing. Mm. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children.
5: Uh, I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache! Mm. John. Hmm.
7: Don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house?
5: No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting—what the devil is that?
7: What's what?
5: That. Put the lights on. John. Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and.
7: It's and, only a dog, silly. A, a
5: dog. What do we need dogs for? I got for? a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for?
7: Now don't get hysterical.
5: Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it.
7: He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer.
5: You put him in there with my shirts?
7: He won't suffocate. The drawer's open.
5: Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin?
7: You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia.
5: I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Uh, get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake.
7: The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills.
5: Well, where are they?
7: On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog... where? They're on the night table by your bed.
5: There's nothing here except the aspirins.
7: The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Me- Blanche... What have I been eating? No wonder my
5: headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor.
7: Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep.
5: Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs. Hides the aspirin. It makes, I don't know. Get up so early. Never get another wink of sleep. As, as long as... <clears throat>
7: John, John, Mm -hmm. gesundheit. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy.
5: Now you're talking.
7: I want you to take him down to the dog pound.
5: Okay, I'll do it on my way to work.
7: You go in the opposite direction.
5: Well, I'll go out of my way.
7: You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him.
5: Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep.
7: You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you
5: always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Goosby?
7: Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep.
5: Ah, what's the use? Good night.
7: I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment.
5: Still have a year to go on this one.
7: Our lease expired on Friday.
5: I renewed it yesterday.
7: I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me.
5: That's a good idea. Am- Amos is what?
7: Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 apiece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow.
5: Oh, Blanche, no. I, I don't believe it. We'll be on the street.
7: Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy.
5: Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place?
7: Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know, but even if we didn't win, we'd get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets.
5: Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live.
7: Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals?
5: Now look, Blanche. The
7: trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative.
5: Look, Blanche.
7: If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche. He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year.
5: He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where's my slippers?
7: What are you going to do?
5: Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow!
7: Ooh, ooh! Put on the lights. The lights are on. Open your eyes.
5: Oh, here's here's the phone. I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does. Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. Amos. I'll get it, I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving. Haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep. I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming. And if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as...
7: Was it Amos who won?
5: I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying.
7: No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But,
5: oh, I'm nuts. I'll sleep in the garage.
7: Good night, John.
5: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, My guest this hour, this is going to be a lot of fun. My guest this hour is uh, a wildlife veterinarian um, known as uh, Dr. Gabby Wild, as she has uh, teamed up with National Geographic Kids to share some of her adventures from around the globe, um, saving animals around the world. It's called Wild Vet Adventures with Dr. Gabby Wild who joins me by phone. Gabby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um this is a little different for me, so I'm not sure exactly where to start. I talked to a lot of photographers from National Geographic and they travel the world and they've I've I've done segments on the photo arc and all of these these great wildlife photo opportunities, but you get right in there.
8: Absolutely. So without Joel Sartor from the photo arc, people wouldn't be able to appreciate animals that they perhaps have never heard of and get another perspective, literally of his Noah's arc of photography, but my perspective is the medical, veterinary perspective. So I, unlike, you know, the photography where they capture what they're seeing, I'm having to actually physically touch and interact with these animals in order to protect them, whether they have a disease, whether they have an ailment, need surgery, or they just need conservation. So sometimes I'm just um, anesthetizing them and taking care of them to tag them, for example, so we can track them and make sure that they're safe and also to learn about their behavior and their patterns where they're going, why they're going there, and therefore how do we protect them from interacting with some human conflicting areas. So it's a very different perspective, but we all work together in an effort to save animals.
5: Well, and, and I i didn't mention in the introduction, but your home base is in New York City where you work as a wildlife health program veterinarian for the Wildlife Conservation Society at New York's Bronx Zoo, which I think a lot of people have heard of uh, the Bronx Zoo. But how do you end up giving aid to these animals on other continents? Are you... On standby with a plane at the ready, you know when there's an emergency, they call yeah. Dr. gabby, how do, how does how does it work out? do you or do you pick times of the year and and go for a few weeks and deal with whatever ailments are there?
8: Those are really great questions, and you're not far off. So I also run my own foundation for threatened animals and different NGOs, conservation groups, rescues can submit an online form for a specific situation that either a collection of animals or a single animal is going through. And if there's enough funding to go help them, we absolutely will go ahead and do so. We try to consolidate and go to regions of the world at, you know, one time rather than going back and forth and really having a big carbon footprint. Um, Also through my job, you know, I'm requested to work on global wildlife health, I'm not directly the one in the zoo taking care of those animals, it's a different department, though we all collaborate together, but that more global approach to my department is also part of what we do. Um, So you're not far off. Once we have the funding, we can jump on a plane and go help who we need to help. Of course, COVID has recently happened, as you know, so things have been a little different this year.
5: More with wildlife veterinarian, Dr. Gabby Wild, straight Hello, darling.
1: This is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
4: Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner
1: Program.com.
7: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: More with wildlife veterinarian Dr. Gabby Wild, straight ahead. Now, as is always the case with books by National Geographic, the photos and the reproductions are great. And I just happened to open to a page where you have your hands in the mouth of a jaguar. Yes. It looks like you're doing dental work.
8: Yes, you are correct. I was doing dental work specifically root canal on this jaguar named Pirate, and um, not to alarm anyone, he was anesthetized. We had him under control until the electricity went out. Uh-oh. There's something to note about my patients. Usually when you bring your dog or cat to the vet, they're fairly well behaved. They can place an IV catheter in them and give them medication through the catheter, or they might be able to directly inject it. Um, Do they cooperate? My patients don't usually cooperate like that. So I have to use a blow dart or a darting gun in order to anesthetize them. So that was step one with Jaguar. But after that, we often intubate to put them on gas anesthesia just because it's a, a safer method of controlling their airways. So in this situation, the electricity went out, so the gas anesthesia would go out if I didn't have two generators. Unfortunately, one generator, of course, went out, and then the second (laughs) generator went out. So we were relying on that injectable anesthetic that we gave earlier in the procedure, and I just moved my tail feathers and finished it as quickly as I could so we could get the cat safely back to its enclosure, and not only safely for the cat, but also for all the staff that's with me. We want to make sure nobody gets injured in that process because this jaguar that he named him Pirate was a wild jaguar.
5: Now, and, and it struck me odd. It hadn't occurred to me that a veterinarian would do dental work. But when you're doing um, veterinary medicine, is it all aspects of the animal? You don't have specialists the way, the way we people do?
8: We definitely have specialists. Um, we are specialists in, in obviously, internal medicine, oncology, surgery, dentistry. We have specialists in all of these areas, but also in the area of farm medicine. So when you are a farm veterinarian, you often are performing all of your own procedures, but there are large animal surgeons that can assist a, a farm veterinarian, a general practitioner in that. There are actually horse dentists that could assist with dental procedures on horses specifically. And then there are specialists like myself that also do wildlife. Um, And therefore, I tend to do most of the procedures that that can be done on wildlife. And my other background is a specialty in surgery. So I enjoy doing the surgical procedures that are needed in these different uh, species. So, yeah, we have specialties just like human medicine. So just like people, you have to go to college for four years in the U.S., and then veterinary school for four years, then internship, and then your residency. So it's the same thing as a, as a person.
5: But, um, but yeah, you, you do all kinds of different surgeries, and, and including, uh, as in this case with the Jaguar, a root canal.
8: That's right. That's right. All different types of procedures. And of course, how we do the procedure is species dependent. You know, how I close skin on a reptile is different than how I'll close skin on a rabbit. This is closing skin on a a fat dog. This is a cat that hasn't been neutered because their skin types are all different. So you learn how to work with different species, um, both medicine wise and surgery wise and then of course as a veterinarian that specializes in wildlife anesthesia is extremely important so we get a, a strong background in that as well in addition to wildlife behavior and wildlife disease because my biggest role besides taking care of them is preventing disease from coming to people which we call zoonotic disease and the scarier diseases that are coming out in the world that, in fact, 70% of emerging diseases are considered zoonotic, things like Ebola, Zika, influenza, um, COVID, these are all diseases transmitted through animals. My goal is to be mitigating that.
5: How do you uh, get to um, know uh, well, I'm I'm curious about how you ended up working with wildlife as opposed to dogs and cats at the neighborhood clinic.
8: I love all animals. So I would be delighted to always work with dogs and cats. And often I do, um, I do surgery on dogs and cats predominantly. But My focus being wildlife is because I had a passion for that, and that's how I started to develop my interest in veterinary medicine. And then, just like a person who might want to become a dermatologist, they might follow other dermatologists and read more about dermatology and go into that direction. Very similarly, I did that as I was becoming a vet, and then in veterinary school, you kind of select if you will, the pathway, at least at my veterinary school um, at Cornell, you could select which pathway you wanted to be. Did you want to be an equine vet, a general practitioner dog cat vet? Do you want to go in the wildlife space? Do you want to go in the pocket pet exotic space, working with hamsters and birds? Um, so you could choose which direction you wanted to go. And because of that, I got more trained in wildlife medicine.
5: And and why the attraction to wildlife? Were you exposed to wildlife early on? It you know, was. Was there something that said, "Yeah, I, I love dogs and cats, and I'm happy to work with dogs and cats, but I really want to give an operation to an elephant."
8: I think you are correct. It was just that aha moment of, "This is what I like, and I just want <laughs> to do it." And that was it. I saw, and I make this sound like a joke, but when I was four years old, I knew I wanted to be an animal doctor. And it was very obvious after I had watched the famous movie, The Lion King. I said, wow, this is so cool. And every time I was reading little books about animals, I was always drawn to wildlife. Always loved dogs, cats, horses, all animals. But there was something about wildlife that was always fascinating to me. And the lifestyle of being a wildlife vet and the meaning behind it and conservation, I just enjoyed that entire experience and felt that that was the best place for me.
5: Now, when you have these these wild vet adventures, um, do you go over for a fixed amount of time and just look for where there are problems or are you brought there because there are problems?
8: more the second. So with that, people make requests stating that there is an issue that their rescue has encountered and they need the veterinary services. They reach out to me through a portal in my website. And if we have the funding through the charity, we head out there and we we take care of it. So the amount of time that we set aside for each uh, adventure, if you will, depends on The number of people that have reached out, um, where in the world I need to be going, and the number of cases and what kind of cases I need to be looking out for. Sometimes I can't stay there for my two-week follow-up, so there's not even practical to do that. But they can at least give me updates, and thankfully I can see videos and photos that they can send so that I can just start the procedures and allow the, the collaborators to take it from
5: there but isn't there a, a time factor gabby if if someone writes and says you know our our leopard has a toothache um you can't really let the lep- leopard suffer until you have enough people put together for a trip or or can you how how, how does that part of it work so that it's timely great question
8: if there's no funding to do it, that method will suffer. Um, often what happens is I can give them some recommendations for the interim of time, and then we can make the accommodations later. If I know someone is something that they can do right then and there, I'll say it that way. If it's something that we have funding right then and there in the bank account, we go um, usually within two weeks to make it happen. But it really depends on the availability i keep saying the word funding but that's true true
5: it all revolves around and the funding urgency.
8: it does it does and, and of course the urgency in certain situations the the urgency is dire and even if i could hop on a plane right then and there there's nothing that's going to happen there's nothing i can do um but give advice. And I often am giving advice, like in a telemedicine kind of fashion, on what to do and, and how to get it done.
5: So how does it end up that, that you um are, are are you then doing actual surgeries when you work with these, with, with these animals when you're there?
8: Absolutely. So sometimes I'll be doing something that's a little bit more complicated if they've had a fracture or there's a hernia or they've had a foreign body for a while. Um, it just it depends on the the situation. But yes, certainly doing surgeries. You know, so many conditions you can survive with for a while. So you you have you know you can wait a little bit for certain things. Others you absolutely can't, and it's it's an utter emergency. Um, but it just depends on each case.
5: I would think that the tools that you would use in any kind of a surgical procedure or treatment of an animal would vary uh, widely based on the size of the animal, like, you know, working with a a jaguar versus an elephant.
8: A hundred percent. Even just the needles we're using, everything is different. Um, The big thing to remember is, if I'm working with wildlife, the the majority of the cases are trauma cases. So if I'm planning on doing something surgical, it's probably going to be in that regard. So fractures, basic wound care, and a lot of the materials are the same for it. Um, But it depends on the species, on how you heal those kinds of conditions. And obviously, before I head out, I have an Generalized idea of what to be expecting. And sometimes I get there and the situation is a little bit different. So you try to bring a few extra things to be prepared. Um, not always can you be prepared. And sometimes you get there and the, the, the collaborators tell you, oh, yeah, we have this issue and we have this issue and we have that issue. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I wish they just told me I could have been a little bit better prepared. But it's all good. It's all good when it happens. The the good news is that I'm there to then help. But yes, so by preparing ahead of time, I know what sizes of equipment I need.
5: How, Gabby? How big is your doctor bag?
8: You Normal know, bag. I just bring suitcases. I just bring suitcases of stuff. So I just try to prepare accordingly to the species we're using and helping. And sometimes it's really great if I can ship things ahead of time so that they can have it there so we don't have to worry. And often there are collaborators even within the country that have stuff. But if not, then we just try to send it
6: ahead.
5: Now, do you always take uh, photographers... Are there always photographers there when you're doing your work, or are the pictures I'm looking at in Wild Vet Adventures part of a project that that you and National Geographic kids did together where it was, you know, planned ahead of time?
8: No, so these photos are some of the select few that I did have photographers with me or a lucky friend who took a photo on their phone, something like that. Um, but once again, I can't always bring videographers and photographers with us, even though it's really important for the charity itself to be able to show people what it is we're doing and how we're helping these creatures. So we try to do that because one of the approaches we take besides veterinary medicine and conservation is education. And so that's why we try to bring actual videographers and photographers and all photographers with us so that way we can capture what's going on and then better teach people about what we're trying to do.
5: Do you have some favorite moments from your surgical interaction with uh, uh, various kinds of species?
8: I wouldn't say have any particular favorite moments. I I love every experience I have with them. Um, most of the time, in a, in a controlled fashion, Just, I, I really enjoy doing uh, bird fractures. I just find it very rewarding after we have fixed a bird that couldn't fly and then you see it soaring. I find those kinds of things just very, very gratifying. Um, but it's, in terms of other surgeries, no i I just enjoy performing surgery in general
5: i now that that seems uh, that would be tough for for most people um are you, are you just completely numb to the the gory nature of surgery that that some people would like to look at and go oh that's gross yeah
8: i'm I'm not necessarily numb to it. I can certainly go ahead and, and have a sandwich and salad right <laughs> after I can something disgusting and it's fine. But I, I actually just find it more beautiful and interesting. Now, sometimes it's sad. You go in there and there's, sure. just, there's no hope of salvaging this. And that happens. And you either have to put it to sleep on the table or try your best if, if it's something that, you know, the organization is begging you to try to let it live but as a vet it's our job to make the the right call for the health of that animal and its welfare if it should even be attempted to wake up from something that is really unsalvageable especially if there's a a tumor for example or if there's just very bad abdominal disease that it's typically abdominal there's also pulmonary diseases that, that we've had to say I'm sorry but this is this is not probably going to end well. Those things are simply saddening. Um, sometimes very also especially with GI disease, very smelly, which that can just throw your head back and like, oh that's gross. So that I'm not always so numb to. But um but in general it's um it's art. The the animal body in all forms is, is artwork and it's just such a pleasure for me to be able to study that art.
5: How did you and National Geographic get teamed up for this project?
8: Um, I was working with National Geographic in another project called Animal Jam, which is a kids' online game. And when we were meeting um, at a conference for it, we were having a cup of coffee, and the book team was just saying to me that it would be so cool to do a book together because they find so many kids would love to learn about wildlife medicine and veterinary medicine in general. And I said, that's an awesome idea. I'd love to do it with you. And that was it. And here we are about three years later, and here is Wild Betty Adventures.
5: Well, this is absolutely amazing. I'm I'm a little distracted, Gabby. Forgive me because I keep thumbing through the book and seeing these amazing images. Um, my guest is uh, uh, Doctor Gabby Wild in uh, National Geographic Kids has a book called Wild Vet Adventures, which is kind of a play on words because she's uh, a veterinarian to wildlife, and um, and her name is Wild. It's, um, you know, I I feel like I could talk to you about this for hours because I've never really talked with anybody who has worked this closely with um, wild animals. Is is there some place that listeners can go? To, to learn more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Obviously, the book is a great place, especially for uh, young readers. Wild Vet Adventures and the way it's laid out is really fun because each exposure uh, to a different species or a different animal is like a little lesson.
8: Absolutely. So in addition to the book, people can go on my website, gabbywild.org, and they can follow us on social media. So we've got great videos and photos on Instagram, and that's dr.gabbywild. You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter, and, of course, on YouTube. And we're posting a little video that's like a little mini episode so that people can see what it's like for us when we're out in the wild doing this. And that'll be posted a little bit later this month.
5: Now, this has been a, a strange year. 2020 has, has been a little different in terms of travel and so on. But typically, how much time do you spend, you know, at the, at the Bronx Zoo? And how much time do you spend in Belize or in, you know, abroad somewhere? Well,
8: like the adult diaper, it depends. So what I would say is what I'd say is that whilst at the zoo, it's just like a normal job. You go in, you come out normal hours, except when there are emergencies that you need to be sending to. Um, with COVID, everybody's been working remotely. So that's a, a different situation. Um, and then I will be doing surgeries here in Long Island for dogs and cats. Um, in the interim when I don't need to be logged in and working on our various projects for the, for the WCS. And then prior to COVID, I would travel as needed. So it really varied from am I gone for this month? Am I gone for several weeks? Where am I going to be? So it really, really varied.
5: Well, Gabby, yes, you're
8: right, because it's through a monkey wrench.
5: I I, I I, just can't help wondering if there's such a thing as a normal day in the life of Dr. Gabby Wild.
8: There is no such thing as a normal day. <laughs> nope, never normal, but always fun.
5: Well, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful what you do, and I appreciate you taking a little time out to talk with me about it. The name of the book is... Wild Vet Adventures, Saving Animals Around the World with Dr. Gabby Wild is put out by National Geographic Kids, and you can find out more about this book and many other great books from National Geographic at their website. Um, Gabby, thanks so much for spending this time, and keep up the good work.
8: Thank you so much for having me, and I hope you stay wild.
5: (laughs) That's a great way to end. Be well. Thank you. Bye bye. Once again, Dr. Gabby Well uh, Wild, the um, and and she literally is a wildlife veterinarian. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old radio
1: for a new generation. Time Summer Program. The Time Summer Program. The Time Summer Program. Hey, <laughs> this is the unknown comic.
5: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now.
3: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
5: Joe Biden from the Blue Line, Dan
7: Sterling.
9: Congressman Dan Kildee, Alexander Zondrick. actor, comedian Jonah Bodie, Woodrow Stanley, U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow,
5: State Senator Jim Ananik, comedian Brian McCree,
7: the unknown comic
5: Mark Farner, and Tom. I want you to know Tom's my friend. You you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's uh,
8: it's that's impressive.
9: Nice to be with you, Tom.
8: And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't
5: read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey Tom, this is my favorite interview all always you (laughs) you it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you tune in monday through friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at tom sumner program.com
3: east village magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over flint
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
4: I worked as an accountant for about two years in Chicago. I had got a degree in accounting, went into the army during the Korean War. Remember that one? (laughs) uh, No benefits, and uh, I have held close to 30 separate accounting jobs in two years, which is like three weeks at each place, you know. I found one thing is true, that they always put you through an orientation program. You spend one week learning all the problems you're going to have to face in this new job. But invariably, after the week in orientation, the first problem you run into, your first day on the job, was never covered in any of the, any of the sessions. Now, with this kind of prologue, this may seem kind of a jump. My favorite movie is King Kong, the monster movie. This is the greatest monster movie ever made. And the biggest scene, of course, the one you all remember from King Kong, is when King Kong climbs the outside of the Empire State Building. All right, now putting these two thoughts together. (laughs) This this is the night that King Kong climbs the outside of the Empire State Building. It's also the first night on the job for a new guard, see? This is his first night. (laughs) on the job. <laughs> he's gone through a week's orientation on the problems he's going to face, and it happens to be the night that King Kong climbs the outside <laughs> of the Empire State uh, he- Hello, Mr., uh, Mr., Mr., uh, Mr. Nelson. Yes, this, this is uh, Sam Hennessy, the, uh, the, the, the new guard. Uh, sir, I you know, I hate to bother you at home like this on on my first night, but uh <coughs> See some, uh, something's come up sir and it it's not it's not covered in in the guard's manual. <laughs> yeah, I I looked in the index. Y- yes, sir. It I I looked under unauthorized personnel and uh, and uh, people without passes and and apes and apes toes uh apes and apes' toes yes sir uh theres there's an ape's toe uh, sticking through the window sir <laughs> well uh, see uh, see this isn't your standard ape sir i mean uh, he's between uh, eighteen and nineteen stories high uh, d- uh d- depending on on whether there's a thirteenth floor or not Uh <laughs> Well, uh, sir, I'm you know I'm sure there's a rule against uh, against apes shaking the building. <laughs> there, there, there is yes. So I, I, I yelled at his feet. You know, I said. Uh, I said, uh, a shoe ape, and uh, I'm I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave, sir. And, uh, I, you know, I know how you like the new men to, to think on their feet, sir, so um, I, I went to the, the broom class, and I, I got out a broom uh, without, uh, you know, signing out a requisition on it. <laughs> I, yeah, I will tomorrow, yes, sir. And, and, and I started hitting him on the toes with it, you, you see. But uh, it didn't seem to bother them too much. See, uh, there are these planes, sir, and they're, they're flying around them, and, and they're shooting at them, you know, and... They only seem to be bothering him a little bit, so, so I figured I wasn't doing too, too much good uh, with, with, with a broom. D- did, did I try swatting him in the, in, in the face with it? Well, I, I, um, I was going to take the elevator up to his head, sir. See, but uh, my, my jurisdiction only extends to his navel. You, do, you don't you don't care what I do just just get the ape off the building this uh this this may complicate things a little uh, he's uh he's carrying a woman in his hand sir I, no i I don't think she works in the building, no sir well see as he as he passed by my floor uh she had this kind of negligee on you know. So I, I doubt very much if she, if she was one of the cleaning women, you, you know. You know? <laughs> well, well sir, so the first thing I did, I, I filled out a report on it. Well, I, no, I, I don't want to give the building a bad name either, sir, you know, but... Well, I doubt very much if we can cover it up, sir. You know? Well, you know, the, the planes are shooting at them, you know, and... Uh, I mean, people are, are going to come to work tomorrow morning, and, and some of them are going to notice the ape in the street, you know, and... <laughs> And then the broken window, you know, and they'll start putting two and two together. You know, I, I think we're safe on that score, sir. I, I, doubt, I doubt very much if he signed the book downstairs. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, don't, you don't care what I do, just, just get the ape off the building. Well, I, I came up with one idea, sir, uh, but I'm not supposed to leave my post, well, I, I thought maybe I could smear the Chrysler building with, with bananas.
1: <laughs> this was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
2: You want it. drag me away i watched you suffer
5: Okay, that wraps it up for today's uh, all-animal edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks again to my guests, uh, Colin O'Meara, uh, President of the National Wildlife Federation, PETA founder Ingrid Newkirk, and uh, <laughs> wildlife veterinarian Dr. Gabby Wild. Anyway, I'm down the hall to the living room. Good night, everybody.
0: The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show.